Uh, we are still this month in our series that we've been looking at beyond the bio. Now, uh, I, I really appreciate this past week, your emails and kind of telling me about some of the ways that, that you spent those little moments with the Lord, uh, how you took something that was ordinary and made it into something um, spiritual, something special, a moment with God, you know. And so I appreciate that. And you can continue to share those with me. I told you what I was, one of the things I was doing was I'd put the, the 100th Psalm on my wallpaper. And I don't know if you noticed on our Facebook site, Gus uh, did a little tutorial if you wanted to do something like that. If, if you're wondering, well, how did you do that? There's that tutorial there. I came in Monday morning and I started off first thing early Monday morning. I looked and I saw I'm reading through it, and it says, wow, come before him with joyful songs. So I get in early enough, there's not too many people around, and I can always close my door anyways. <laughs> and I started singing those joyful songs like we heard here this morning. Wasn't that marvelous worship? Yeah. And, uh, and as, as growing up, when I grew up, most of those joyful songs that I can just sing off the top of my head are those great hymns of the church. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee. Opening to the sun above. Now just singing through that and praise him, praise him. Jesus, our blessed redeemer. Sing, O earth, his wonderful love proclaim. Now to get to, to God be the glory. Great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son. And boy, my heart, so I just decided, this is a good way to start the day. So I said, I'm going to do this every day. So every morning when I get in, I'd shut the door and, and, I'd, and I'd have the, my hymnal out and I would just sing those hymns of praise to God. What a way to start the day. It was great. And by the way, just this is an unauthorized or un, un, unscheduled announcement, but next, this Saturday night, if you love singing hymns, head down to the cafe at 6 o'clock. Mike Nagy and Marie Beaver are going to have a little hymn sing. They're kind of like old times. So if you like, if you really enjoy that and you want to be part of that, that's Saturday night at 6 o'clock. So I encourage you. But, but be those moments of, of just connecting with God, and, and, and they were, it was exciting for me. But I, as I was looking through my library, I also saw a book, and it, it kind of reminded me of what I talked about last week. And the title of the book is Everything You've Heard is Wrong. And I don't want to tell you that what I said last week, everything you heard was wrong, okay? I want to tell you this, though. It's not enough. It's not enough. Those moments, those little couple moments of grabbing some time here, of making this moment special, is good. But it's not enough. I talked about how relationships can be difficult. And whether you've been a Christian for three years or 30 years, you know that there are times where relationships, even our relationship with the Lord, can suffer. It can be tough. And sometimes we even get to the point with sometimes with relationships, is this relationship worth even continuing? And we find out it can be extremely difficult. I was reminded of that as I read a story. It's a story I've read before. It's a story of a man, maybe you've heard of him, Bruce Wilkinson. Bruce Wilkinson is a teacher. He's a pastor. He's a, uh, a, a, an author. In fact, I, I, I had it in my thing here, the author of The Prayer of Jabez. You've probably read that little book maybe. It's, it's sold six million, gazillion, trillion copies, I think. Um, but Bruce Wilkinson is also the president and founder of Walk Through the Bible. A great Christian man and so much to offer. But he tells the story of one day driving to work. 
It was one of those uh, crisp, sunny, warm, just beautiful Georgia mornings. And he's driving in his car. And as he's driving, all of a sudden, along beside him comes this sleek, sharp, black Corvette. Yeah, it's got its top down. The driver's looking cool and confident in his designer sunglasses. And then just as quick as it came, it's gone over the rise. Wilkinson said it was at that time that I realized something was missing. He said it wasn't my wallet. It wasn't my clothes. It wasn't my job. I still had my job. It wasn't my wife or kids. They're still back at home. But something was missing. He says it was my heart. (laughs) He said my heart was speeding down the road in the back of that Corvette. He said, by the time he got to the office, he was in full-blown crisis mode. Everything that had seemed so important in his ministry just the day before now seemed like rubbish. He wanted to quit. In fact, he said he thought about quitting and just going across the street and applying for a job parking cars. But he made it through the day and he got home and he said, I need to talk with my wife. Good, good thought, right? So he gets in, he talks with his wife, and they're talking through the evening about what's going on in his life. And, and they come to the conclusion that he's suffering from burnout. He'd been working harder and longer than he ever had with hardly anything to show for it. And then as he talked more and they, they discussed, he realized also that his passion for serving the Lord had grown less and less and less and less over a significant period of time. And so he wondered what to do. Well, instead of quitting, he decided to pray about it. He spent the next several days calling out to the Lord, saying, Lord, what am I to do? What am I to do? In the midst of those prayers, he felt the Lord nudging him to talk with a man that he had met over 10 years ago. He was from the West Coast. He was a um, a leadership mentor, scholar, And for this story, he called him George. So he called up George and he said, I got a problem. And and you know how it is when you you know something's wrong, but you can't explain what it is? He kept kept trying to explain what it was. And so so George is asking him, is it it health? No. Is it an immorality? No, it's not that. And 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 finally, George says, tell you what, why don't you come on out and let's talk. So he booked a flight to California, and he headed out, and he got into George's office, and as he says, he sat down in these two leather, beautiful chairs, and, and George looked at him and says, Bruce, here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell me your life story and take your time. So Bruce settled down in the chair, and he started to share his life story with George. He shared for over an hour until he got up to about two years before the present. And George says, okay, you can stop. I can finish your story. Well, I got Wilkinson's attention. He says, how can you finish? I haven't, I haven't told you the rest of it. And he goes, that's all right. I know why you're here. He said he got, at that point he got up and got the coffee and poured him a couple of new cups of coffee and, and freshened it up. And he sat back down. He says, Bruce, I have spent my life 
studying over the lives of over 500 Christian leaders. Some from the Bible, biblical examples, some from history, and many contemporaries, some of whom you would know. And he says, you're right on schedule. <laughs> he goes, he leans forward and he goes, on schedule for what? George got up and he stood in front of Bruce. He says, Bruce, and he held out his palms, hands out. He says, my two hands here represent the two areas in your life where you find fulfillment. My right hand represents your relationship with Jesus Christ. And my left hand represents your competence in ministry. He says, when you first started out in ministry and serving the Lord, your relationship with Jesus was vibrant. It was fresh. It was exciting. And it had to be because your competence was weak. But as your competence increased... Eventually, you got to a point where your fulfillment in what you do, in your competence, was equal to your fulfillment in your relationship with the Lord. He says, and this happened. Other people started to notice your competence. And you started to get more and more productive and more and more successful. And as your competence increased, your relationship with the Lord. Your relationship with Jesus Christ suffered. He says, Bruce, that's where you are today. And he says, unfortunately, what happens to a lot of people when they realize this, when they realize they're lacking fulfillment, when they're lacking satisfaction, what they do is they pour more and more into their competencies. They work harder. They work more hours. They try to get back that feeling they used to have. Unfortunately, Bruce, that's when they have affairs. That's when they leave the ministry. That's when they go back on long-time commitments that they've made. He says, what the Lord is telling you today, Bruce, is to put me first. Is to put me first. Wilkinson said, in less than two hours, he put his finger on what was ailing me. He had dug inside, got to the core issue of my relationship with Christ. Now, you may be a Christian three years or 30 years or less or even more. And you may say, I'm not a pastor. I don't think this is just a pastor thing. I think for many of us, as we pour our lives into our competencies, into what we're good at, we find fulfillment in those things, in those activities. Sometimes it's our family. Sometimes it's our work. Sometimes it's what we do at church. Last week we talked about churchianity, all those activities. And they become more and more our place of fulfillment and our relationship with Christ suffers. I think our scriptures this morning call us back to where we need to be. And it's found in John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. Jesus is speaking, and I'm reading today from the English Standard Version, a little different than what I normally read from. It goes like this, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. 
Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This is, this is the last of the I am's that Jesus says in the book of John. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am, I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. Here he says, I am the true vine. Now last week, the message came at the beginning of Jesus' ministry when he was calling his disciples. This is at the end. In fact, this discourse from Jesus takes place after they've been in the upper room. He is hours from his death. He has already uh, told the disciples he was going to leave. He's already passed the bread and the wine for the Last Supper. He's already washed their feet. He's already had Judas leave to go to betray him. He's already told Peter, you're going to deny him. And so he comes to this point, and they're, they're leaving. They're, they've probably, they've, by this time, they have left the upper room. They've headed out the, the gates of Jerusalem, probably down through the Kidron Valley and up toward the Mount of Olives to the garden. They would have walked by, probably, most likely, a number of vineyards. And so Jesus would look and say, look. And, and everybody knew that in the Old Testament, there are several occasions that Israel had been, been likened to a vineyard. But Jesus says, hey, I'm the true vine. I'm the true vine. My father's the vine dresser. And you are the branches. And the, as you look here, the, the, the meaning, this metaphor, the, the imagery is, is obvious. The branches get their life from the vine. The branches don't live unless they are attached to getting their nutrients from the vine. And so... In the key to this understanding is that little word that's in there, abide. Abide. Actually, that's why I picked the English Standard Version uh, to read out of. Like the, new, like the King James Version, it uses this word abide. I kind of like that word. It means connect. It means to remain. And some of your versions probably says that. Remain in me. Stay with me. Hang in there with me. I don't, your versions might not say that, but that's what he's saying. Be part of me. And here it is, abide. It's to remain. In fact, the the word abide, the, the, the noun form of that is a dwelling place used a couple times in the New Testament. In fact, just before this, Jesus said, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. It's the noun form, the abode that we abide in. And so it's, it's this living, living, it's this being part of, being connected with. In the New English version or the English Standard Version, that word abide in, that phrase abide in is used 17 times, 17 times throughout the scripture, five times in the Old Testament and 12 times by John. So this is a big deal to John. Some here in his epistle or in, in his gospel and some in his epistles, his letters. This, in fact, he says it three times in this scripture, abide in, abide in. It's that relationship, the relationship that the branch we have with the vine, Jesus. Remember, 
Last week I said a relationship is easier and the disciples had an advantage that, that Jesus was there in flesh. But they were about to lose that. Jesus would die in less than 24 hours. And they only had a few weeks left with him on earth after that. Oh, they, they didn't understand that. But they were about to lose him personally. But he still says, abide in me. It doesn't make any difference that I'm not going to be here. In fact, he just told him, I'm going away. I'm going away. I'm going to leave you. But abide in me. We can do that. Jesus said to abide, so it's worth examining. Abiding... It's more, and this is where last week was not wrong, but it's more than just, oh, <laughs> you know? It's more than just relaxing and saying, oh, you know, I'm, I want God to speak with me. It's, it's deeper than that. Abiding takes a, 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 an element of submission in abiding. In fact, he says that in verse 2. He says this, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it bear, may bear more fruit. Abiding is not being passive. Abiding is not just sitting back and going, ah. Abiding is allowing God to work in our lives. It's giving God permission when we spend that time to work in our lives. Philippians 2.12 Show us that both God and us are at work here. It says this, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. You see, our growing in Christ, our relationship with Christ it takes two to tango. It's, it's, a, it's a reciprocal effort. We work out our salvation. God works in us. We abide in him. He lives in us. It takes both. We work and God works. In fact, if you look at Philippians and then this passage in John chapter 12, you realize that there's God's part and our part. And here's God's part. God's part is to prune. Is to prune. In fact, this verse tells us there's a couple ways he prunes. Some he takes away the dead. And we could talk about that. And, and hopefully you're not one of those. But, you know, sometimes God has to remove the dead. But the, 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 what he's really talking about here and what I'm, we're talking about in our relationship with, with, with the Lord is sometimes it takes the shears to shear and to, and to take out and to, and to keep us, you know, clean out some of the stuff that just needs to be taken out. I think that's what happened with Wilkinson. I think when he went to, to uh, George... And he says, I, I need to know something. I think the Lord was in the process of pruning him a little bit. Of saying, Bruce, there's something that's, that's come in that has been more important. It's been elevated above your relationship with me. And that's the way we do. Sometimes we spend time with the Lord and, and he shows us things and he changes our characters. But that's all submission. It's all saying, Lord, yes, I hear. Now, Lord, I want to change. I want to be like you. I want to do what I need to do to be fruitful. I need to accept your spirit. I need to accept your correction. I want to be healthy. I want to be productive. And so God works in us. And Jesus reminds us in verse 4 then what our part is. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. The command is to be fruitful. 
The command before that is to abide. Is to abide. We need to abide before we can be fruitful. And that's what Wilkinson found out. He said we can't produce the fruit on our own, at least not for long. Eventually that fruit starts to turn not so productive, not so healthy when we're doing it and trying to do it on our own. Eventually that fruit will get smaller, less valuable. The continued production requires continued union. He goes on and says this, verse 5, I am, I am the vine again, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. When we get this mentality of doing, 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 of serving, even in ministry, if it's apart from abiding, it's nothing. So while obviously God's part is to prune, our part of this is to abide. How are you doing in abiding? We get our fulfillment not from the production of fruit. We get our fulfillment from abiding. Abiding. We read this and we think, wow, if some fruit's good, more fruit must be better, right? So we work hard at bringing in fruit and we get, we get tied up in that doing things and if, 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 if God's doing something, he must be wanting to do more. And we get so hung up and like, like, like Wilkinson, so hung up in the ministry, so hung up in the success. And then it causes hours and it causes time and commitment. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So how do you abide? How do you abide? Well, after reading the scripture and after looking at Wilkinson's life and after considering some of my own things, I, there, there are some, I think, important elements of abiding if you want to abide this week. I think the first one, and I was really proud that I got these all to start with P, but not all of them make a lot of sense. <laughs> no. The first one is presence. Presence. You know, it's one thing to, to have those moments, but it's one thing to be present. If you've ever dated and gotten serious with somebody, you know, having moments of connection is great. But there's, at some point in time, you want time. You want presence. Maybe another P word is to pause. I read this week, someone said, how do you know if you're fully present with somebody? It says this, there's no phoniness and there's no phones. <laughs> no phoniness, no phones. Taking not just a moment with God, but taking extended time. To saying, I have in my life, I have elevated, I have found fulfillment in other things than you. And it's reflected in the time I spend on those. And yeah, it was great to think about you while I'm making the bed. <laughs> it's great to think about you while I'm doing this. But there are times when it's not, do, not spending time in God while we're doing something. It's spending time in God while we're not doing something. It's taking that time in the morning. It's taking that time at some other point in time and saying, no distractions, no phoniness, no phones. <laughs> 
No checking emails, no doing all those things, no, no responding to texts. It's that taking that time with the Lord, giving him our presence. I read this week, it was a challenging thought. It says, there is no shalom, peace, without Sabbat, Shabbat, the Sabbath. There's no shalom without Shabbat. There's no, there's no peace without rest. Taking time in God, taking time to reflect even Jesus withdrew. Here's the son of God. He would withdraw and be with the Lord. The night before he picked his disciples, he spent the time alone in prayer. The night before his death, he went and spent time alone in prayer, connecting with his God, the way he's asked us to connect, to abide in him. We can spend the moments, I think that's maybe the milk, but when we spend the hour with him, how long has it been since you spent an hour with God? No phones, no phoniness, just time. Extended periods. Remember, Jesus sought solitude so that he could be with his father. So what do you do during that time? Well, obviously, there's presence and then there's print. What's print? This is print. <laughs> it's the Bible. It's the Word. How much time do we spend with God's Word? John 8, 31, just before this, Jesus had said this. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my Word, if you abide, it's that abide word, abide in my Word, then you are truly my disciples. The same if you're connected, if you're in it. And then he says, after that, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Not only does it speak to us, it teaches us. And so we spend time in God's word. I encourage you, if you haven't done so, start your time. And we'll talk about this a little more. We'll start your time with God's word. Start your time letting him speak to you. And then there's print. There's something else. There's your words. I don't know. I'm not going to ask how many people journal. But, uh, but you know, it's, sometimes it, it's, it's good as we spend this time with God, as we hear what he has to say, to actually write down our thoughts, to actually write down what's happening in us, to actually write down how God is changing us. You know, um, there's people who, who, who write a whole page of their thoughts in the morning. I'm not good at that. So I thought the smaller the page, the better. I, said, I can fill this up. <laughs> uh, yeah, don't, don't take my example. Be better, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, some, sometimes we just need that to write down what God is doing in our lives, to reflect on it. When you come to God, give him time, but also, also come to God with the prints, the Bible, the print, your words, and do that. But there's another thing. You can hear, 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 but there's another word called Obey. It's that letting God prune us. It's being submissive to him. Jesus said in John 14, 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. It says this, my father will love them and he will come to them and make our home with them. Our dwelling place, our dwelling place will be with the one who obeys, who abides. As we abide, he abides. His home is in them. Of course, if we're spending time with presence and 
spending time with print, we're going to spend time in prayer, right? We're going to spend time in prayer. Jesus, even though he was God, even though he was God in flesh, spent time with his Father. One of our core values here at French Church is dynamic prayer. It's dynamic prayer. But so many Christians report that instead they, they, they have a, what they would call a weak prayer, weak prayer life. Why is it we have a weak prayer life? Well, one of my favorite authors now and who spoke at our pastor's conference, Daniel Henderson, he says there's, there's reasons we have a weak prayer life. And he says sometimes it's because our prayer life is more like an organ recital. You know what an organ recital is? We're praying for John's heart, Jane's liver, uh, Judy's pancreas, you know, Jeff's appendix, <laughs> one organ after another. You know, we're just praying for all these requests. Yeah, you finally you're getting that, huh? Yeah. An organ recital. You know, we pray for this person's eyes and this person's ears, and then it's just one thing we pray for, and, and we don't pray for God's will in our lives. We don't pray to establish a relationship with him. He says our communication is one way, our mouth, his ears, instead of our ears, his mouth. Last week I mentioned Frank Laubach. Frank is the, the missionary from the Philippines who tried to think of God one second out of every minute. Well, when talking about prayer, he said this, the trouble with nearly everybody who prays is that he says amen and runs away before God has a chance to reply. Listening to God is far more important than giving him our ideas. In fact, Henderson would say, we actually should start with God speaking. Open up your scripture and let God speak to you this morning. I tried something this morning. I was gonna try it live here up front. I said, no, I'll try it in my office and then I'll tell you if it worked. Um, but it did. I turned, I said, let's just pick a psalm. So I flipped back and I just turned to a psalm. The first one that came to my mind, or not my mind, the first one that came to my sight. And it was Psalm 111. 111. And this is letting God speak first in our prayer time. Here's what it says. Praise the Lord. I will thank the Lord with all my heart as I meet with his godly people. Isn't that incredible? As a first, I just turn to 111. I will praise the, God, I praise the Lord. I will thank him with all my heart as I meet with his godly people. Letting God speak first into my life. How amazing are the deeds of the Lord all who delight in them should ponder him. And so we stop and we say, Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you for your greatness. Lord, thank you for your deeds. Lord, thank you that I can delight in you. And maybe start to repeat and rehearse all that God has done. In prayer, let him speak to us first. Be scripture-fed Spirit-led prayer, as Daniel Henderson would call it. It's, it's changed. It's hard to let your mind, you know, sometimes you just walk in, you say, okay, I got to pray now, and you start praying, and within two minutes, your mind is somewhere else. And you realize 10 minutes later, you've been thinking about the Browns game this tonight, you know, and all that, and say, like, wow, man, I got to get back on track. Sorry, Lord, you know, or you're doing something else, and you're, oh, man, I got to get back on track. When, you're, when you start in Scripture, and you're looking at Psalm 111, and you're letting that guide your prayers, it keeps you, it gives you a guide, it leads you, it directs you, it helps you to abide in Him. 
Find a scripture, find a passage, find a psalm. Let it lead you in your prayers. It also then guides us in our asking. It guides us in our asking. In fact, that was the original title of this sermon, How Abiding Guides Our Asking. But it leads us into asking for what God wants us to ask for. It's not wrong to ask. In fact, Jesus tells us to ask. I read this past week that asking is the most, maybe the most intimate thing we can do because when we ask of God, we are declaring our need of him. We're declaring, I need you. And the author suggested that I need you is even more intimate than I love you. Why do we need him? Because Jesus said in verse five, apart from me, you can do Nothing. Nothing. Finally, one real quickly, one more. You probably guessed this. Wilkinson turned to this. As a way of abiding, it's people. It's finding a mentor. It's finding someone that can help you as you struggle in your walk with the Lord. Somebody you can trust. You know, here at Friends Church, we have what we call circles. And, and they're small groups of people. And we've been meeting for the past year with certain ones, but we're always trying to start new ones if we just have somebody who will come along with us. We also have in, in Celebrate Recovery step studies, which I've heard are, which been, been told are the greatest circles around. They're, they're discipleship groups that, that draw you close to Christ where you can open up, where, you can, where people can share and learn together. Maybe it's somebody you know in your group, your, your group life your small group, but finding somebody. So if you're, if you're in the presence of God, if, you're, if you bring the print along, if you're in prayer and you're, you're, you have somebody else, you have people, can you abide in Christ? Can we continue, can we really abide in Christ? So what happened to Wilkinson? Well, he didn't quit. In fact, he wrote the prayer of Jabez after that, so you know he didn't quit. He said he came home, and after praying about it, he said, for the next three years, I'm going to commit. The next year, I'm going to commit to these three things. Here's what he committed to. He said, first of all, I'm going to get up at 5 o'clock every morning, 5 a.m. every day, to read my Bible. So that was his first thing. I'm going to get up at 5 a.m. every morning to read my Bible. Second of all, I'm going to write a full page in my spiritual journal. I'm guessing it was a little bigger than this one. <laughs> going to get up at 5 o'clock. I'm going to write a full page. And then thirdly, I'm going to learn to pray and seek him until I find him. I'm going to pray and seek him until I find him. He committed to that. After beginning to follow those steps, here's what he wrote. He says this. Day after day, I would look at what I had written. On every page, I saw the real reason my busy Christian life now left such a bland taste in my mouth. I'd become an expert at serving God, but somehow remained a novice at being his friend. You don't have to be a spiritual giant, a 30-year Christian or three-year Christian to know that's the case. But I, you know what? That might be more impactful for some of us who have been Christians for a long time. For some of us who have especially invested in our 
competencies so heavily and let that relationship drift. Jesus is saying, get it back right. Put me first. Give me your time, your presence. Get into my word, the print. Pray. And bring some other people along with you. So two questions, and then we're done. First one's this. Are you abiding in Jesus at this point in your life? That word abiding, are you in him? Are you doing what you need to do to grow? And then the follow-up to that. If not, what would you have to change for you to say that you are abiding in Jesus? What is it in your life today that you would need to change to have that time, that scripture time, the Bible time, the prayer time, and spend time with a mentor that could draw you closer to the Lord? What is it that would have to change in your life? Those are the two thoughts to take with you this morning. Those are the two thoughts that you can pray about and think about this afternoon because the Browns aren't on until tonight. <laughs> Those are the two thoughts to take with you this week. What is it I got to change if I really want to abide in Christ? Let's stand together for prayer. Father, I thank you for your word, for the truth of it, for the power in it. And Lord, help it to speak to us today. Lord, we want to abide in you. We want to grow in you. Lord, we want our relationship with you to be number one. And Lord, all of those other things to come behind. Father, for some of us that need to change some things, I pray that you would guide and direct us with wisdom and then encourage us with resolve, sometimes patience, whatever it might take, Lord, to walk deeper with you. Guide and direct us. Use us. Lord, may we be fruit bearers, not because of our competencies, but because of our relationship with you. And we'll give you the glory because we know that apart from you, we can do nothing. Thank you, Lord Jesus. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Go serve the Lord. Abide in him this week. You're dismissed.